allows them to look at something other than being 65, having dedicated 40 years, 45 years of your life to something to create enough that you hope that at some point down the road you can retire and you have no say over any of this. That's really where I want to go with it. And in doing that, I've got to continue to be on the hunt for good investments. I've got to be able to be on the hunt for, you know, ways to educate, ways to help people understand. And out of that, yeah, I mean, there's a financial reward involved, but the reality is the more people that I can help take back their financial freedom, that's really where the satisfaction in all of this comes, Rob, because seeing people be able to make the choice of whether or not I'm going to go to work today is really an empowering thing. Welcome to the Income Flip Podcast, a podcast about real estate entrepreneurs, visionaries, and the stories behind the legacies they're creating. I'm your host, Rob Chavez. And on today's episode, I've got Shannon Robinette from Boise, Idaho with me. Now, Shannon is a badass real estate investing syndicator that specializes in multifamily and industrial properties. And what I love about this episode is that he kind of walks us through the psychology and the the thinking of what it's like to be a high-level real estate investor. You know, he started 25-plus years ago building his first house and then moving into commercial real estate. Well, I'm going to let you listen in to why he moved into commercial real estate and how he's now doing projects upwards of $125 million per project. But I didn't start that way. And, and what I love about his spirit and the message that he has to, to give to us is just this, this concept, this idea that we talk about in the income flip all the time of, of you've got to learn how to build something that over time provides you cash flow, stability. And it's not about always chasing the quick buck. It's about analyzing markets, playing the long game, and staying the course. Grid. Guess what? Today I've got Shannon Robnett. Is that how you pronounce it? Yes, sir. Okay. Absolutely. From Boise, Idaho, who's just back from Madrid and Casa del Mar in Spain. And we were just talking about how awesome that is and how I need to go there to celebrate my my 50th, which is kind of crazy, right? But welcome back, Shannon. Thank you. It's uh well, it's great to be here with your, you and your listeners, but I, I got to tell you, Spain would be rather, uh, rather pleasant experience as well. Yeah, man. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, thanks for joining us, by the way, and definitely let it catch up on us more on Spain. And maybe, I don't know, did you get the itch to like buy a little something there when you were in Spain where you were like, oh, maybe we do a little Airbnb or? You know, of course. I mean, that's, if you, if you didn't, the entrepreneurial bug wasn't really, you know, that you weren't that infected, right? Yeah. But. But you know the thing that that I love about that is is you can take that anywhere, right? Anywhere I go, I'm I'm picking up the dirty real estate magazines, I'm thumbing through them, you know, I'm talking with an agent. And so obviously when I came back, I gave all the receipts to my accountant. So we'll see what she does with that. <laughs> but you know, that is the mark, right? Like that's when you know you've been infected. Like everywhere you go, you're always like looking at real estate, you're looking at it through a different lens. And so I'm curious, how did you get started? Like what what got you on this journey in the first place? Well, unfortunately, I wasn't infected. I was indoctrinated. I was born into a real estate family. Uh, my father was a builder and developer of industrial, single family homes and then industrial. Uh, and my mom was a real estate broker for 40 years. She was actually third generation realtor. So I'm a fourth. My son's a fifth. Um, 
But you know, the thing that I that I learned, I mean, and and I even told this to Robert Kiyosaki is when I read his book at 19 years old, I I, I couldn't figure it out. I didn't understand why everybody was blowing up the world about this purple book because it wasn't. It was the way I was raised. I was raised with poor dad, right? And, and you know, it, it didn't make sense to me why the rest of the world didn't know this. And yet I still thought I was smarter than my parents and I was going to go to college and I was going to, you know, I was going to be something in computer information systems, right? Because you understand that was 90, 1992, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. so the, that, was a, that was a pretty new field then. And I was going to be something in that. And I went to college and they had this thing called attendance, right? And testing and all this other stuff. And so after about a semester of college and watching my brother build single family homes and make about $48,000 a year and, you know, right out of high school, I, I decided, you know, 1993 that that probably wasn't for me. And I began my, my entrepreneurial journey with some assistance from my parents, but, but, you know, all they really did was, was got me started. You know, and they, I mean, we got with the bank, we got a bank loan. I built a single family home that I sold for $79,000 that, you know, I, I, I think it's currently worth about 350 or 400. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just saw how I could, I could do that and I could make a living and I could be, you know, I could have my own company and everything. But then I realized that I didn't like the, the scale of single family homes. And so I wanted to get into commercial and I, and I launched my commercial business in 1999 and we were doing exclusively commercial construction. And I, I began to see also with that, Rob, very quickly that when I got done with the project, I got done, I was done getting paid, you know, and this was a business. I was an entrepreneur, right? But I was not, I was not getting, I mean, I had to go out and kill what I was going to eat this week. Uh, or, you know, things got pretty skinny around the dinner table. And, and yet I saw a lot of these guys that I was building for, they just built them and rented them out, whether it was medical office, whether it was, uh, uh industrial space, it, it didn't really matter. Multifamily, it didn't really matter. These guys were making money every month after the job was done. And so I really began to kind of look at that. And my dad retired in, in 99, uh, with cash flow. And, you know, that's what Robert Kiyosaki always talks about is get to cash flow, right? You got to get to cash flow. And so in 2001, I built my first industrial building uh, that still has two of the original tenants in it that I put in there, you know, uh, 22 years ago. Um, Because where else are you going to make gelato ice cream for restaurants, right? Where else Mm -hmm. are you going to make batting cages for schools, right? These were just two of the businesses that went in there. But they've continued to pay rent and they've continued to, you know, pay an escalated rent every year and it's gone up and it's been, it's been a great investment. But that's really when I realized, okay, I can create a business that I've got to be in to run and I've got to be a part of it and I've got to make things happen. Or I can create a lifestyle through investment, you know, still construction and development, but investment in real estate that has cash flow long term attached to it for as long as you own the property. Mm-hmm. And so at, in, in that era, 2001, I began to shift to a developer because I could see where I could, I could do more, I could be more. Um, and then I just slowly over the last what, 15 years from then, you know, till about four years ago, we were a, still a four hire construction company along with my own personal projects. But the last four years, we've just strictly been a, 
uh, you know, an exclusive working for our own developments. And, mm -hmm. you know, at that point, you know, I would go out and I'd grab a partner or two and we'd do a project and, and, you know, we'd split the monies and do that kind of stuff. And then I, uh, in about 18, I got in, introduced to syndication, not the normal route. Again, Rob, nothing's normal in my life, right? I got introduced to it from a guy that used to work in the movie business. And if you know anything about the movie business, they syndicate all the capital because you can't really get a loan for a couple hundred million dollars mm. in the next epic whatever, because if it's a flop, the bank's not going to take that risk. Mm. And so he showed me how to syndicate capital and create capital stacks and preferred equities and all this kind of stuff. And so in the last five years, four years, really, um, we've been able to, to continue to improve on that model. And uh, we're now everywhere from Washington to Florida uh, on projects, and and uh, we've uh, we've got a lot of great investors that are that are benefiting, and we are as well. So it's been it's been kind of kind of a crazy journey. Shannon, that's fascinating. I, how did you meet this particular gentleman that then opened up the whole syndication? Well, idea? through a lawsuit. Um, well, okay. Hey. Uh, we, we, uh, my partner and I it was the last project I did with a partner. Uh, we were we were building a 180 unit apartment complex, and he was part of the buyer's team. And we wound up in a lawsuit with the buying team about you know some of the inner workings of the contract. And and this gentleman kind of said these this isn't how I this isn't how I roll. And he kind of got out of that partnership. And then he's like, well, I'm freelance. Do you want to know how to do some more of this? And so we started collaborating on a couple of projects and they went very, very well. And, you know, he was a, a solid guy with a, a great business mind and understanding of financial modeling. Mm -hmm. He knew nothing about commercial construction and development, but as an entrepreneur, he had his skill set that he could then become important to important people, which mm -hmm. is a phrase I use a lot. And he was able to come into my world and say, hey, I can show you how to do this or a piece of the action, right? And so we began to build out a partnership that way and, and uh, everything. But it was just through, you know, continuing to do what I was doing and looking for other partners and things like that, that I really discovered how to not only multiply my ability to take on and complete projects, but also to provide handsome returns to our investors that were interested in either the tax benefits that we were getting, uh, the cash flow, the appreciation, but really most most importantly, Rob, they were interested in being passive. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And describe that for, for our listeners. Like, um, you know, obviously we've got active investors, we've got passive investors, but, but your typical profile of an investor, who are they, right? What do they look like? Well, you know, we've really broken that down into, th there, there are three investors, right? There's, there's the guy that wants cash flow. And those people tend to be at the end of their earning life. Either they've made enough money that they can live on 7% return on that money, right? Uh, whether they've done really well or they're, you know, in the late 50s, early 60s, they've got a nest egg that they can invest that monthly money is attractive to them. Mm -hmm. The second investor is usually a, a younger investor that has $100,000 or, you know, $50,000. And there's no way 7% on that kind of money is going to do it for them. So they need appreciation. They need to be involved. They've got maybe a lot more uh, runway in life to, to accumulate. So they're looking at it going, hey, if I could get into the development game, there's there's more reward there. There's no cash flow. Um, and we can do some of those things. Then then I can appreciate this and I can turn this 50 into the nest egg that, you know, the cash flow investor has. 
And in 20 years, I can, I can have what I need to be retiring on cash flow. And the third investor is usually a, uh, someone like a doctor or a lawyer. It's making, it, even, even we have a lot that are in the tech industry. They're making three or $400,000 a year. They live a pretty simple life, but they, they, they're getting clobbered in taxes, right? Mm-hmm. They're paying 37%. A lot of them live in California, so they're paying 61 total with the state and the Fed. Uh, and they're looking for relief. And so we, we get those guys involved in, in, you know, the depreciation game, the, you know, the bonus depreciation and, and the opportunity zones that we work in. And so we're really able to construct things that show them how they can benefit by beating Uncle Sam at his own game or reading the IRS code as a, as not as a penal code. A lot of people read the IRS code as a penal code, but it's really something that encourage you encourages you, if you make these kind of investments into new equipment, into new buildings, into new infrastructure, we're going to reward you with tax credits. And so we help them understand that and help them get on that track where they're able to come in and say, hey, I would like nothing more than to save 30% of my money from the tax man to invest so that I can continue to do my job. I can live well. I can pay less in taxes. And that money, that 30% that you're saving me, instead of sending it off to Washington, D.C. and watching what they do with it, you can invest that in your future that then will create cash flow that allows you to walk away from your very lucrative job without having to concentrate and focus on what you're growing. Yeah, I love that. I think the first time I'd heard of that concept of that the IRS really built the code to incentivize you in order to, to you know, to incentivize us in order to do yeah. the things that they they want, like... Uh, promote entrepreneurialism, provide affordable housing, like all the rest was from um, Tom Wheelwright's Tax-Free Wealth. Yeah. Right? I don't know if yeah. you read that. but the, Oh, I've read cool. all the Tom stuff. And, you know, the thing I love about Tom Wheelwright is he writes it for the common man. You know, he's, yeah. he's, he, he understands accountants, but he doesn't speak accountant, right? Mm-hmm. When he's talking to you or me, we get it, right? And he's really simplified it to where we can understand that, yes, this is what needs to be done. And it's really not that difficult. And it's, it's, it's something that we can definitely implement and do to, to reap the benefits. Shannon, what kind of commercial do you specialize in, right? Like commercial is a big word, right? There's yeah, so you know, many different facets. Yeah. That, that includes, you know, multifamily office, industrial, medical. Um, we tend to like the industrial and the multifamily. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, when you really look at it, most of my portfolio, my personal portfolio is in industrial. And the reason that I like industrial is because industrial leases are triple net leases. So what that means is, you know, and industrial leases are usually, you know, five-year term, 10-year term is not unusual with two or three 10-year extensions. So you could have a tenant, we've got one right now we're building for in in Florida that has a 10-year lease with three 10-year options. So without any say from us, They can occupy the building for the next 40 years. Well, the hard part with that is how do you estimate what the property taxes are, what the insurance is going to be, what the lawn care is going to cost in, you know, 37 years. I mean, the Jetsons will be doing it, of course, but, but, you know, I mean, you're my age, so you get that joke, right? But, but what is it going to cost? And a triple net lease really says, okay, here's the rent. And we're going to estimate all of these other expenses that are going to be a pass through to the tenant. And so the tenant then reimburses the landlord based on an estimate of, you know, uh, $2.5 a year per square foot for property taxes, insurance, you know, maintenance on the building, the roof, the HVAC systems, all those kinds of things. 
And at the end of the year, we reconcile that and the tenant reimburses us. So we're able to take an escalatory clause that says, hey, every year we're going to take three or 4% in escalations. And I have a, I have a CPI rider in there that is consumer price index that helps mm-hmm. us. It's, nobody cared about it, Rob, until a couple mm-hmm. of years ago when CPI started going nuts. And then my tenants took an 8.9% uh, jump last year, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I loved it. They weren't particularly thrilled with it, but they also knew that we'd locked this in before all this inflation started. But it really protects the landlord and it really keeps things even for me because I can say this is your rent and I can lock it in for 10 years. And we're going to take these escalations every year or every two years. You're going to pay the expenses. And now you have a place to go build a business, whether it's 2,000 square feet or 50,000 square feet. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you've got tenants in there that have credit. Uh, they have personal guarantees. They have a balance sheet that's worth something. They're not willing to move their business for $35 a month in rent. You know, so you have tenants that are, they're business people. You know, they look at it and they go, if I move, you know, I mean, gee whiz, we can clean out an apartment in, you know, four hours, right? Uh, but if if I'm a looking- Business to move, is order. Yeah, 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 for sure. I'm looking to move a business. I've got to take all the equipment out. I've got to have my employees still pay them, but they're not producing anything. My 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 system's offline. And so they tend to stay, like I said, I've got two of the tenants that are that are still there after 22 years. Wow. And I don't know that I've spoken to them in mm-hmm. 22 years. Mm-hmm. You know? <laughs> I mean, the check comes and so there's no reason, you know? You know, it's funny. A good friend of mine started off on the residential side, like wholesaling, rehabbing, like a lot of people do. And then he built a couple, not a couple, built like 15, 20 luxury new construction homes in Arlington, high affluent area where we live here in, in the DC metro. And and then he just was like, you know what? I, I'm I'm tired of the residential nitpicky yeah. consumer. That's, I want that's to focus. Me, man. Yeah, he's like, I want to focus on the business side, the business individual. He wholesaled the pharmacy. And then he just started getting into like small commercial. And yeah. before I knew it, I mean, he's built a massive portfolio. Yeah. Right? And he's like, I love it so much better than the residential side. And, you know, the other side of it is, I mean, multifamily has been everybody's darling child. And for a lot of the reasons you mentioned, you know, a lot of people, they started wholesaling, which I got to give it to the wholesale hustlers. These guys work their buns off, man. I mean, you do more work in wholesaling than I think any other aspect of real estate because you got a hot potato in one hand and you got to find somebody that wants it in another before this bomb goes off. And... (laughs) And you're doing it to make a couple of bucks of which are all ordinary income that Uncle Sam is swiping a huge chunk of at. So when you're really successful on that end, you're getting clobbered on the other end, right? And you got to go hunt every single day. But a lot of people get involved with that because that's their door in. They don't Mm -hmm. have capital. They don't have the resources. They're not connected with the people. And so they scrap this out. They get this thing put together. And then they realize, okay, maybe there's another way. And they mm-hmm. take the next step up where they do the burr strategy and they get their money back and and then they do it again. And then they've realized that all they've done is built themselves another job because mm-hmm. now they've got 40 of these people that are going, hey, my AC doesn't get cold enough. By the way, the neighbor's dog barks too much. And oh yeah, Earl parks in my spot, you know? And so, so you're looking at that and then you scale again. And if you look at it, there are a lot of REITs that are involved in industrial. And they're involved in industrial because it doesn't fluctuate like we saw multifamily do. You know, the last couple of years have been darling 
for multifamily. This last 12 months has been a little bit of heartburn, getting back to reality. It's going to reset a little bit. And meanwhile, industrial still chugging along at the same price point and, this, and a lot of the same um, cap rates that it's been at. And it's stable. It's mm-hmm. really something that you can count on other than a business going out of business or a business owner dying or something like that. Something really drastic like that. These businesses chung along and they just continue to pay the rent and they continue to do what they've always done. What is the biggest challenge that you face in industrial? What is the day? What, what's the hardest? What's the biggest hurdle? What's the biggest challenge? If I wanted to get into into industrial, which I never have, right? I own multifamily, a lot of single family houses. Uh, but what would you say is the biggest hurdle for somebody? You know, a lot of people struggle with the the long term mindset. You know, and and that sounds funny, Rob, but especially the last you know nineteen, twenty, and twenty one, everybody was flipping apartment complexes in eighteen months, right? Mm-hmm. Industrial's a long game. You know, you get into an industrial deal. Uh, you know, we've got a deal, like I said, we're doing in Florida. Uh, it's got a 10-year lease on it. We'll hold it for seven years. We'll get some really great cash flow on it. We're getting 4% appreciation on the rents every single year. You know, so we're we're chunking up pretty good on our cash flow. And we'll sell that about year seven. So somebody knows that, hey, three years from now, I might need a new tenant. But we've elevated the rent and we can really calmly calculate that where a lot of people are coming in, they're going, Hey, I want to get involved in multifamily because it's going up. It's booming. It's this, it's that. And we are somewhere between four and 7 million housing units short in America. So there's reason for that, but it's a little bit more of a maverick and you may or may not have a seven year window. Mm-hmm. A lot of people, when they first get involved in investing, they like the trading, you know, the day trader aspect of it. Man, we bought this and 12 months later we exited. We all made great money. There's none of that. So if you're looking for excitement, multifamily will give it to you. Where industrial, it just doesn't have that allure. But if you're looking for something like Chef Tony selling all the time to set it and forget it, that's where industrial can really work for you because you you purchase it. Uh, we did a deal in Houston, Texas uh, four months ago, five months ago. We got uh, 10-year fixed financing um, uh, from a life insurance company cheaper than we could have got multifamily debt. Sure. And you, you've got a prepayment penalty in there. But other than that, you've got you've got debt that's good for the next 10 years. You know, have you been primarily doing ground up or are you doing value add or what are you doing with your industrial? Like Both. I'm, I'm a lot. I'm, I'm very, very familiar with ground up, um, but I also look at opportunities. And and what we do with that, Rob, is we identify a market first. Right. Mm-hmm. You've seen these guys that one minute they're in Cincinnati, then they're in Chicago, then they're in you know California. And the only thing that they have in common is the C is the first letter in the in the in the name, right? But we really go in and we look at it. Go, we really like Houston for industrial, right? We really like uh, Nashville, Tennessee for multifamily. We really like North Carolina, uh, Raleigh in particular for both of those. And we look at the demographics and we take that apart and we go, okay, first of all. What's the median household income, right? What's the job growth rate? What's fueling this economy? Because, Rob, I'd really much rather do a, a good deal in a great economy than a great deal in a good economy. Because mm-hmm. I would rather have the whole economy working for my benefit than have the shining star, the Starbucks or the Walgreens, 
right? In, in downtown, let's call it Chicago, probably not a great place to invest if you're looking for job growth. Mm-hmm. And if that particular client goes out, you can't replace them. You know, yeah. nobody's going to pay Starbucks rent, right? Nobody's going to want a, a, an old Walgreens, right? So we look at that. We say, man, we really like these economies. We like what's going on in Phoenix. And, and then we decide our product type in that area. And then we only look at those markets and we only look at that product type. Hmm. So we'll look at it and we'll say, okay, you know what? Uh, Raleigh, North Carolina needs industrial. And it's got a lot of old industrial that's really poised for value add. We'll take, we'll take either of those in that market, right? And so we really kind of break that down that way. So we're looking at kind of a singular type um, of, of investment. And then we look at, do we build new? Because there's value in that. You're taking the original sticks and stones, you're putting the tenant in and you're creating that value add. Or is there enough meat on the bone to buy this one, raise the rents? We're coming, you know, the deal we did in Houston was exactly that. Guy built it during COVID, tenantized it. Everybody has a two-year lease with no escalation. So great, those all burn off in the next uh, nine months. So we'll raise all the rents to market. Uh, and in fact, because they're businesses, we'll push them just a little bit past market, right? Mm-hmm. Get on the high side of that because they're not going to move over a couple hundred dollars a month. And then we've got a then we've got a situation where those are five-year leases and we don't need to show back up, right? So then we've got local property management that's taking care of the daily on that and mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, billing the, the tenant for the expense. When you're going into a market, let's say it's Raleigh or it's Phoenix, um, what are kind of like the, the 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 things that you look at in that market to like, you know what? This is the type of growth that we're looking for when we go into the market. This is how we analyze how much industrial is already in that market. I mean, how do you what's what's that mix? Yeah. Or maybe that's part of the secret sauce. No, no, listen, there's 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 not a lot of secrets. It's I mean, it's how you blend the sauce, right? I mean, what's your what's your eleven uh what is it, eleven herbs and spices, right? The mm-hmm. but you know, when you when you look at Raleigh, we did a market study on Raleigh and we saw that, you know, unemployment is lower than the national average by a long shot. You've got inbound traffic, people are moving there in droves. Uh housing is more affordable uh than a lot of the places around there. I didn't know this, but Within six hours, airplane ride of Raleigh, two-thirds of the nation lives. I think it's within like 350 or it's, it's 500 miles. Within 500 miles of Raleigh, North Carolina, two-thirds of, of the nation live there. And you look at the inbound traffic, and then you look at the colleges and the amount of money that, that uh, Duke University spends on R&D is in the billions, right? So you've got, you're attracting, uh, you know, entrepreneurs, you're attracting people that want to build businesses and want to start ideas and startup companies need space. And so you've got stuff growing. Then you look at the wage, you know, the wage is, is higher than average and the housing cost is lower than average. Mm-hmm. So now I've got a spread. Affordability. Can, yeah. They can raise families and they can do that. So that's very attractive, especially when you've got New York continuing to raise taxes, continuing to have things go the opposite direction and become less affordable. Um, you know, so you look at something that I look at it this way. If the world goes to hell in a handbasket, where do you want to live? Raleigh's on my list, right? Mm-hmm. I would love to live there for all the affordability that we talked about, the job growth that's happening, mm-hmm. all the things that I don't have to worry about because maybe I'm in technology and that goes down. You know, the dot-com bubble hit a lot of people really hard mm-hmm. and they shifted into another industry. Well, if you've got inbound traffic like you do in Raleigh, 
Now you can go into insurance sales. You can go into medical home warranties. You can, they've got a huge component of medical going on mm-hmm. because of the of the research coming on at the hospitals. You know, uh, one of their universities is in the top three universities in the nation for startup. Hmm. You know, so when mm-hmm. you look at those things, you really look at it and go, what's good? What is happening? What's hot? And if you want to know what the difference is, directly compare it to San Francisco. And if the numbers match, but they're going the opposite directions, you've got a winner, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, San Francisco's shedding people. Taxes are going up. Affordability's going down. You know, but you've got the opposite over here. So when people run into hard times, they run to better markets. Yeah. Yeah. So true. I love that. I mean, there's so much gold in what you just said. I'm not, I want to make sure that we we like unpack that for everybody in like the show notes because there's so much gold that's there. Well, let me let me ask you a question. As you um, you've been in the business twenty some odd years. How many years now? Twenty five, or is it thirty? Well, uh, you know, if you count my indentured servitude starting at the age of eighteen, um, you know, but I've I've been doing uh, my own company since I was uh, twenty. Okay. Yeah. Where do you want to take this and where are you taking it moving forward? You know, th- this might sound a little funny, but one of the things that I found, Rob, over the last four years as I've been involved in syndication is I've found that it's it's people like you that are putting information out there to educate other people so that they don't have to blindly believe Wall Street, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, we're marketed to by Edward Jones and all these other guys that, you know, trust us. You know, BlackRock, there's only two nations in the world that have more assets under management than BlackRock, and it's China and the United States, right? But if you think that that machine is going to respect you and take care of you, you need to have your head examined, right? And so for me, helping educate investors on their ability to take back their life, their Mm -hmm. ability to lower their taxes, their ability to increase their cash flow, their ability to increase their nest egg how to use your IRA properly, you know, those kinds of things, educating people like that, Rob, I think if we would have had, I think if podcasts would have been a thing in 2006 and 2007, I don't know that we'd have had a market crash because we would have been able to educate people. A lot of people would have seen it coming. There would have been a lot less. And for sure. And a lot of the negatively amortizing loans wouldn't have been taken out because it made no financial sense. Right. Mm -hmm. It filled the need. It got you into a house you couldn't afford for 14 months. But what were you going to do after that? You know? And so I look at that and I go, you know, really where I want to take this is I want to take this to a place that allows me to put myself and my companies in front of a lot of really good investors that allow them to take their personal financial freedom back. Allows them to look at something other than being 65, having dedicated 40 years, 45 years of your life to something to create enough that you hope that at some point down the road you can retire and you have no say over any of this, right? <laughs> That's really where I want to go with it. And in doing that, I've got to continue to be on the hunt for good investments. I've got to be able to be on the hunt for uh, you know, ways to educate, ways to help people understand. And out of that, yeah, I mean, there's a financial reward involved, but the reality is the more people that I can help take back their financial freedom, that's really where the satisfaction in all of this comes, Rob, because seeing people be able to make the choice of whether or not I'm going to go to work today is really an empowering thing. You know, Shannon, 
it's it's interesting you should say that. I think over time, business owners and entrepreneurs find the deeper meaning in their work. Like right when we started off, it was about the hustle, right? It's like, right. okay, you've got to learn how to make money. You've got to then learn how to do something with this money. And then eventually you realize, you know, what's the purpose of right. all of this, right? right? And I think that the entrepreneur that understands that the purpose is is in doing exactly what you just said, right? It's in being able to, you could do both, right? You can do good and help people, you know, build things along the yeah. way as you build things along the way. Right. That resonates deeply with me. And by the way, that's the purpose of the podcast. Yeah, I, no, and I, and I love it because, you know, when you're taking the time to collectively bring all these entrepreneurs together and provide this information to people where they can go, eh, that Rob, that guy's a little bit of a whack job, but I really like what this guy's saying and putting those together because, you know, maybe what I do isn't everyone's cup of tea, but getting that information and being able to educate yourself and understand where you can go. You know, I, I think Elon Musk was very intelligent when he said, everything you need to know is on the internet, right? It's all on YouTube. You can learn anything on YouTube. But how many people actually take the time to educate themselves, to set themselves free so that they can get to a place where their choices are really their choices? You know, and I read a, I read a good book by Tony Robbins, uh, Money, Master the Game. Mm -hmm. And he and he really he does this illustration in the book where he says, OK, what do you want? What is what is retirement to you? You know, not a dollar amount, but what activities involve mm -hmm. that? Right. Are you are you golfing every day? Does that that does involve a beach house? And most people realize that their retirement goals are pretty simple. It's really about time control. But you start putting dollar amounts to that and you realize that, man, the average person in America today, inflation adjusted, can probably retire on about $3 million that's producing income. But we never learn how to make the money make money, right? You learn how to make money. We're trading time for, for money. We're trading you know, we're maybe if we're an entrepreneur, we've got a business, we're multiplying that by having employees, we're doing those kinds of things. But at the end of the day, it's really about learning how to send your money out and come back with friends, right? <laughs> and uh, I remember, I remember, I forget what book I read. It's like every dollar is like a little soldier that should go yeah. out there into the world. Yeah. yeah. And how do territory you, for you? And how do you know that? How can you vet that? How can you understand that? You know, you can't possibly understand every startup company that comes across your desk. But what are the things about startup companies that make them successful and what are common in these ones you're looking at? Whatever it is you want to be involved with, whether it's medical technology, whether it's real estate, you know, whether whether it's, you know, Bitcoin and blockchain or, you know, exotic cars or whatever it is you want to be able to learn how to make money with it. It's important that you drill into that and become the expert on that. Yeah. Yeah. So that you understand, I'm looking at really good underwriting here. I'm mm -hmm. looking at things that make sense that are based in fact that I can find in research. Mm -hmm. Rather than, you know, we really want to buy this apartment, paint it purple, and raise the rent $400. Well, the rents are only $800 now, so you want to go 30% on the rents. And do you think purple's the right color? And, you know, you don't need to get into that minutia, but you can see that, hey, this is a good pro forma, and this should work, but... What contingencies do they have built in? What if this doesn't happen? What if we don't get the rents? How are these guys going to protect my money? What if and interest rates go from 5% to 8% and they can spin up, you know, 14 months, months, right? Yeah. yeah. 
And, and so when you, when you understand those things, then you can look at the business plan. You go, this business plan works for me. This guy's mm -hmm. got two contingencies built in. His numbers are, you know, they're not in the 20s. They're in the teens, but he's, he's looking at an 8% refi in four years. He's looking at a 7% at a cap rate, and all of those can change to my benefit. But looking at a, at a seven cap on, on multifamily right now, that's a big jump from where it was. But if you go back to 20, uh, 2015, it wouldn't have been a jump at all. Mm -hmm. And so mm -hmm. understanding that and really putting together a knowledge base for yourself that you can say, I get this. I don't know how they're going to raise the rents. I don't know what color they're going to paint it. But I understand this operator. And I understand this product mm -hmm. and this creates mm -hmm. something that is going to make money. That's going to take my little soldier and bring him back with some friends. Mm -hmm. I love that. I love that. Yeah. I would imagine, you know, I'm in the game every day. You're in the game every day. And, and we find, we end up finding a lot of times, I call it the zone, right? It's where you want to become the master at. Like you specialize in industrial multifamily and that's kind of like your, You've done a lot and you could do a lot, but that's like your sweet spot, right? Yeah. Um, but if you, and, and if you're a listener right now and you're trying to figure out, well, you know, you don't want to be in the active game because you are a doctor, you own another business, um, but you got to find the thing that appeals to you. Maybe industrial speaks to your heart, right? Or maybe multifamily speaks to your heart, but then you have to find the right operator right. with the right story. Right. In order to do that. And, and then even as the passive investor, you've got to learn that that zone. Right. right? Yeah. Yeah. And, and so how do you find like I'm, I'm curious, like how do you find investors for your projects? Um, because now it sounds like you're doing stuff in Phoenix, you're doing stuff in Raleigh, you're doing stuff like all over. Yeah. Um, obviously, our, a network like ours, you know, that makes sense. Podcast makes sense. What else are you doing in order well, to... I mean, it's really education, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, look, you lead with value, right? I mean, the last thing I'm going to talk to you, Rob, about is a deal. I want to talk to you about, you know, who is your listener and how can we help with, with that education? Because mm -hmm. the thing is, I don't have anything to sell. Mm -hmm. I've got mm -hmm. stuff that you might want to be involved with, but I don't have anything to sell. Mm -hmm. And so I, I don't want your... You know, I do have a story about one angry investor, Right. And this guy, he got involved in the project. It was an appreciation project. We were building a 36-unit apartment complex. Everything was going really well. I get this call from this guy. He's just irate. I haven't got any checks yet. I'm supposed to get checks. And I said, you didn't read the PPM. And I really realized that you've got to educate your investors. Mm -hmm. And you've got to help them understand, why do you want to invest in this? So the first thing that we want to do is we want to find out what type of investor are you? Mm -hmm. You only looking for cash flow, then we don't want to show you an appreciation deal, right? They're, they're, they're worlds apart. They don't make sense. And so then you're, you're educating them on this is what a really solid cash flow deal looks like. Here's one that has a higher yield. Here's the risk points to that. Here's one that has a lower yield, but here's the benefits to it. Where do you want to be? Maybe mm -hmm. some of both, right? Maybe, maybe you're going to go. I'm, I'm 70 years old. It's like my dad, right? I can't afford to start over, son. Okay, well, then you want the safest thing you can get your hands on with a 10-year tenant in a brand new building, mm -hmm. you know? 
Mm-hmm. If you're looking at it and going, you know what, I'm 55. I'm just starting to enjoy my cash flow. I plan on working for another five years, but I'd really like my beach house to get beachfront, right? Mm-hmm. So now we're going to look at, okay, well, maybe we want some higher yield, but something that's a value add type of deal that we could get some of that upside, right? And so it's really, for me, if you're educating people, you're not finding investors. You're finding people that are that want to get on the same path that you're on. And you're able to take those people and you're able to say, hey, this is this sounds like what you're looking for, but he's got some over there that's exact same stuff. He's got a project there that would look like it would fit for you. And getting those people, they're busy. They got nine to fives. They got soccer practice. They got all these other things, but they can get in that zone too, where they know what they're looking for and they know why they want it. And then they know how to execute on that. And whether they're executing with you or not, you've made somebody a little bit smarter that now knows how to go and, and hunt for themselves. Mm-hmm. And to me, that's really, you know, what what I think is 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 attracting, let's call it my tribe, because they want the education. Mm-hmm. You know? And it's something that that allows them to get what they want, but know that it was their idea instead of just walking into a Merle Lynch and getting it shoved down their throat. No, I love that, man. You know, um, all good things happen through education, right? Yeah. Um, the way you take on an investor educated. I mean, I could see, I could see the amount of pain that you could save yourself if you're just educating people through that process, setting the right expectations, potentially saying this may not be the right investment for you based on your goals. So you probably have a great intake system to, to kind of determine, okay, who might fit where. Um, and I love that. I love that. What do, you, what do you do in order to educate your investors? Do you actually run a podcast yourself? Or yeah. you? Okay. Well, we do. We do quite a few things. I've got. I've got a podcast myself, um, and I. I think you're scheduled to be on it. So I got some. I got some great talent showing up. Right. Sweet. Uh, and and you know, but we. I mean, we, we go hands on with you. Right. We want to understand your financial picture, the way that you see it, so that we can under, explain it back to you the way that we see it. Right. So that we can look at that and go, hey, um, what's your tax return look like? Mm-hmm. You know, you just gave $40,000 to the IRS that we could show you how to make a $30,000 investment in your own behalf down the road. What what does that look like for you? Right. And we've got a tax strategist that we work with. We've got some, uh, you know, I've got a great team here. I'd love to take all the credit, but I've got a great team here that really drills down and helps you understand that. Because the thing that we found, Rob, is if you give them the education first, they may go somewhere else. Sure. And that's okay. They've saved you time because they've shown you what they're after. But we've also understood that if we educate people first, then they're going to make that first investment. And then they're going to make a second and a third and a fourth because they're going to hone their skills. And what we've learned is that if you invest the time up front, you're building a relationship. And that relationship creates repeat investors you know, we've got a guy, I call him $100,000 Rob. Mm-hmm. He thinks diversification is going to every single one of my deals for hundred grand. I had to explain to him the other day that, Rob, listen, you probably got to, you know, diversify. Don't worry about it, Shannon. I got this. But he goes into every single deal. But he, he understands. He just calls me and says, what's the deal this month, right? Because he understands and we've educated each other on how we work. And we built a relationship there that's really strong, that's yeah, really solid. 
he feels confident in the operator as well. He, he oh, feels yeah. confident, confident in the operator's philosophy, the way they do business, how they educate, track record, the asset class, the whole bit. Yep. Okay. Fantastic. So if somebody wants to to find you online, Shannon, and and listen to your podcast, what's the name of the podcast? Well, it's uh, the RobNet Real Estate Rundown. Uh, but the easiest way to find me online is just shannonrobnet.com. I mean, come on, Rob. I'm a contractor. I had to make it simple enough for me to remember. Right? <laughs> but if you go to shannonrobnet.com, you can find all my socials there. You can find the podcast links there. You can even get to my calendar, book an appointment. And we can talk about what your investment strategy is and what you want to see done with your future to get you financially independent. Shannon, these projects that you're doing are typically larger projects, I'd imagine. Um, how many of those projects are you taking on over the course of a year? Well, unfortunately, Rob, that's had to accelerate as our tribe has gotten bigger. Mm -hmm. um, you know, first we were doing, you know, a, a $35 million ground up development. Now we're, we've got two that are in the ones at about 85 million. We're getting ready to kick off a $120 million project. We've got a couple of 15 to $20 million projects. I mean, so it, really what we're looking at is where are the solid economics and then where's our investor base that wants that and really kind of going back and re-raising, if you will. Hey, guys, we've got an opportunity for this. This is the kind of number we're looking at, where are we at, and just kind of going from there. But I got to tell you, Rob, my business has grown over the last four years exponentially, and I believe it really comes down to the philosophy that we educate with, that we want our investors to understand what they're doing. And with that, they've told friends and family and our, just our network has grown. Okay. How about, let's talk, let's touch a little bit on mindset because those are, in my world, those are bigger projects, right? $120 million project, big project, right? You didn't start with $120 million project. You started with a single family house that you built, right? Right. And, and so um, help me understand maybe the mental leap that you had to take at some point, or did you never... You never felt that it just kind of like automatically happened. Or was there a oh, day no, that you I'm actually looked in and said, okay, I'm taking this thing to the next level. I'm going to think bigger. You know, I'm flabbergasted at the growth, honestly, right? And it comes back, I had a really good partner on a project about five years ago that really believed in our ability to take it to the next level. And, you know, but the reality is, if you look at my growth over 27 years, it's been kind of slow, right? So I've been building experience and building experience and building experience. And then the reality is 2X or what is it? 10X is just as hard as 2X, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's, Dan, look. it's Dan Sullivan's new book, which I haven't yeah. read. Yeah. I haven't either, but I just, I just ordered my copy the other day and I apologize, yeah. Dan. I can't remember it. But, you know, that scalability is there. If you're doing a 36-unit apartment complex, you're multiplying that and doing a 64. Then you're multiplying that for 128. But the reality is you're not doubling the timeline, not doubling the workload. I mean, you are for the framers and the plumbers, right? But, but for most people, stepping that up incrementally is like going up a set of stairs. You don't just wind up on the fourth floor. You've got to put years in to grow there. And if you wind up working with somebody that was on the first floor yesterday and is on the seventh floor today, just take a little extra time and make sure he's got his systems in place, mm -hmm. right? 
Um, not mm-hmm. saying he doesn't, but just take some time and make sure that they are going to be able to do what you need done and they have the bandwidth and the capacity and more importantly, the experience and the understanding of when it all goes sideways, what's got to happen in that, right? But at the end of the day, I think the scalability of, you know, doing one in Boise, then doing one in Washington, then going to Houston, you know, all of that came from the systems we created here. And I perfected them in my own backyard. I've been doing this for a long time. So when I go down there and interview a property manager, I know exactly what I want, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. This is my laundry list of things I need for, are you capable? And if so, tell me the clients that have done that. Mm -hmm. And so really understanding that I have that system and I can walk into any town anywhere and implement that system, just like setting up a McDonald's or a Starbucks, it's all the same. Yeah. And now you look at it and you make sure you understand the underlying demographics. And then you make sure that you understand uh, how your tenants are going to react. And then you, you put that system into place, you know, love it. Love it. But I mean, we still do do $5 million deals, right? We've got, got a $6 million deal going in Florida right now. So it's not that you ever get to the point where, ah, 6 million, that's too small. I mean, at least we haven't. Opportunity, right? Just yeah, looking at exactly. opportunities. Exactly. So, so final question. Um, where yeah. do you see the market in the next 12 to 18 months? I want you to look into your crystal ball, right? We've, we, I feel like we're in this weird phase right now, but I'm, I'm, I'm getting everybody's opinion on what their predictions might look like over the next, let's say, 18 to 24 months. Well, Rob, I did just get my crystal ball the other day, but I dropped it and it's now all foggy. Uh, But, you know, for me, because I've been in the business, I mean, I did my first deal at 9% interest and thought I was killing it, right? Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. for me, the market's returning to normal, right? Mm -hmm. So are there going to be people that are going to be upside down uh, versus what they paid? Absolutely. Does that mean they have to sell? Depends on the business plan. Depends on... On, on how they, they they did their underwriting, how conservative were they? You know, are they going to be able to weather this storm? This is the beautiful thing about real estate. If you're if you've got a good solid business plan that has a couple of contingencies in it, you're going to make it. And time is your friend. You know, you didn't buy fruit, right? It's not going to get worse with time. Real estate yeah. is the other way. It gets better with time, right? Yeah. And so when you start thinking about that, you need to look. I think people's horizons are going to readjust to a five to seven year window instead of a 24 to 48 month window. Mm-hmm. I think mm-hmm. you're going to see interest rates. I mean, come on, Rob. This, I know. We're talking about 7% interest. It's still a great rate. Yeah. You know, yeah, we're yeah. talking like you all of a sudden have leprosy. You're getting 7%, man. You know, I mean, when it was at 2%, I would tell people all the time, I wouldn't loan my brother money at 2%. And I love that, you know? But here, banks were doing it left and right, and we got used to that. So I think we're going back to a normal cycle uh, where, you know, we went through this this hyperinflation part where prices went nuts and interest rates went lower, and hopefully everybody locked in as much as they possibly could for as long as they possibly could. But from there, you're going to want to put yourself in a position where you're looking at the market trends 24 to 30 months out. Mm -hmm. What is it going to look like? Are you getting short-term debt? And if so, how how certain are you that you're going to be able to get out of it at your projection? Mm-hmm. Because if mm-hmm. you're providing a 14% return, but you're saying you're in debt at five and you're going to refi at six and a half, 
versus somebody that's saying, I'm, I'm in it at five, but I'm going to refi at four and a half, and I'm going to get a 20% return. If it goes to four and a half, the guy that was saying 14 is also getting the 20% return. Mm-hmm. He was just mm-hmm. more realistic about it. So I think we're going to, we're going to roll back our Google glasses, glasses sure. here. And we're going to recalibrate. We're going to recalibrate. We're going to see things trading in, in the 2016, 2017 cap rate range, price range, and interest rate range. Um, I do think we're going to see some relief on the interest rate side of things in Q1 and Q2 of next year. Um, but, you know, am I betting my investors' money on it or my money? More importantly, my investors' money. That's the stuff I really protect. But no, I'm not. I'm making sure that if I can do a deal today at today's interest rates, we got an upside coming, maybe. Mm-hmm. But at least there's no downside coming for 10 years. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes that makes a lot of sense, right? Um, yeah, I think I think we'll probably be in this interest rate environment which is like you said, my first interest rate was at 7.2%, right? Right. So a, but it's been such a shock for so many people, especially yeah. when coming off of like uh, 4.5% last year. Um, right. And to now right. creeping up on 8% actually is where we're creep, creeping up on. Right. So, um, and office space, there's different segments in the, in, in the industry, right? Like office space, I think is super vulnerable right now. Industrial is one of those that I don't see that vulnerability. Yeah, but you look at the market, right? Come to Boise, Idaho. I've got a 45,000 square foot office building we bought two years ago that was 40% occupied. We got a great deal on it. We've re-tenitized it. We're getting ready to refinance it, right? But when you look at the office space market in Boise, we're not drowning in it, right? Yeah, every market is different. Every market is yeah. different. And so when you're, when you're being selective like that, and what's going to happen? Office rates are going to fall, right? Office product is going to be super cheap which is going to create the next cycle or office. What are you converting it to something else? Are you going to be able to buy it, rehab it and lease it out at nine bucks a foot instead of 27? You know, what's going to happen there, but that's the entrepreneurial spirit. Yes. 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 See the problem, but don't focus on the problem. Let's go find a solution to make that, you know, turn that pile of uh, cow manure into something special. That's perfect. There's a pony in here somewhere, Rob. I love it. I love it. Shannon, thanks so much for spending time, man. I appreciate it. I know everybody, all of our grid listeners are going to appreciate it as well as they are, as they go on what I call their, the income flip journey, like taking that active income and burning it the passive income. We appreciate you. Thank you so much. Thanks, Rob, for the opportunity. Sure thing, man.